So, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 for the rest of our time together, and I know some of you were thinking that was the sermon. That is not the sermon. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8, verse 31 to 39 this morning. If you have a Bible with you, you might just spend a couple of minutes um, thumbing over to that, and if you don't, if you don't have a Bible with you, we want to put one in your hands. If you don't have a Bible in your homes, uh, we would love for this to be our gift to you. Um, take, take this home. This is going to be a section that, you, that you're going to want to go back and, re and read for yourself. That you're gonna, There are some parts in, in this little um, section, in these verses, that you're going to want to memorize, that you're going to want to write on, on your bathroom mirror. And let them inform your days. Let them speak to uh, your anxiety, and let them give you give you confidence. I realized as I was studying when I first started looking at at this little section that in in my years of preaching, I've never preached this section by itself. And I was kind of embarrassed for that because I've preached through Romans and and uh, but normally when I was looking over my sermon archives and did the search for these verses, they've al almost always been tacked on to the end of a sermon as an invitation. Or if I've preached a, a, a challenging sermon, it's like, okay, we need to, with a, kind of a relief valve. We need to let the, I, I don't want everybody to leave the church thinking that their relationship with God is, is a, a total disaster. So who can bring a charge? Nothing, no one. And I, I can, even in those sections, as I was look, looked back over sermon notes, there were a lot of exclamation points, so high emotion. And in realizing that I've, I've never preached this by itself, so I've never like gone verse by verse and unlocked, let these verses speak. As I looked at it this past, these past couple of weeks, I realized that this is absolutely, if not the, one of the most powerful, vivid, meticulous, expositions of grace the grace of God that exists in the entire Bible this is not just and I'm, if, if you hear me at some point come back to this as an invitation at the end of a sermon don't call me out but this is not mainly that and it's certainly not only that but what Paul does here is literally in his meticulousness build a fortress of grace around our sense of salvation, around our faith. He meticulously lays the groundwork for our confidence and seals it bit by bit so that you and I as children of God will have, not might have, not should have, but by the end of this will have complete and total confidence, a sense of security, unbreakable, un impenetrable 
in our relationship with Jesus that we would be totally and completely secure. I know, you hear that as a preacher and you're like, that's nice. But there's fractures in all of us. And in some of you sitting here gaping holes in that sense of security in our in your relationship with God there's a bunch of yeah buts what ifs that Paul is meticulously going to not expose but seal Part of my job here at Grace for the first couple of years, I want a big part of my job here at Grace for the, for the first couple of years, uh, was to oversee the construction projects. And as somebody who's never built a thing, it was, I was an interesting choice to oversee uh, the, the construction projects for the, the various buildings. And um, talking with the, uh, the workers and the contractors and all of those things, on most days, that's how my days would start out. One particular day, about midway through uh, the, the building project, and just a few months before we were going to open the student gym uh, to be our temporary worship center. And some of you guys remember us starting uh, our, our worship on this campus in that building. Just a few months before, we were, uh, we were hard-pressing to get ceilings in and floors in. The foreman called me early one morning and said, hey, man, there's something you need to come up here and see. So I was like, okay, whatever. Come up, what do we have? Water damage? And we, every possible thing thing that could go wrong really went wrong but the biggest thing that went wrong was uh, I, I arrived got our coffee and he's we're standing on at the corner of this building and he points up to uh, the sheet metal that's peeled back and says this morning I was here earlier than most days and I I watched hundreds maybe thousands of bats fly from around this city into that building which we had thought well we probably have some rats and stuff and that accounts for the smell and we were just kind of deceiving ourselves at that point but that we had if if there was a bat in this city that didn't house in that building they were just a, a lonely little critter and I said, well, what, what, naively, what do we do? How do, you, how do you get the bats out? And I, th I went through and said, can we fog them? Can we get all the staff together maybe with BB guns? And just turns out that's illegal. Um, I don't know if you knew that. So we called, uh, we called a specialist, and uh, this guy shows up who looks like he uh, deals with bats for a living. He was the perfect guy um, to 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 be dealing with our problem. And he did a walk around and said, "Oh yeah, you definitely you have you have a bat problem." I said, "Well, what do we do?" And he says, "Well, honestly, getting the bats out is not a big deal. That's not the hard part. Keeping them out is the hard part." And then finally, 
the long-term issue is getting the smell out. And on a humid day when you're in that building, uh, if you've ever had a, dealt with a bad infestation, you're like, oh, I, I, still, I still smell that. And I said, well, how, how do we get them out? He said, well, you, we, you open the door. The bats leave every day. The difficult part is going to be for us keeping them out. And then he went and spent the next two or three days surveying every square inch of that building, top to bottom, foundation to the rafters, to look for any, vulner any vulnerability, any opening, any crack, any crevice, and then spent the next week uh, sealing those up, screwing those down to make sure that when the bats flew out, they couldn't get back in so that we could be totally and completely secure. I just couldn't get that out of my mind whenever I was reading this section of what Paul is doing to bring that kind of security to yours and my salvation that his goal is that we would be totally and completely secure but it would be easy for us when we're reading the first seven seven and a half chapters in this book of Romans for us to assume that that kind of security comes from dealing with our sin that our security and our salvation, that the relationship that we have with God really rests on your ability, your willingness, your motivation, our motivation in dealing with sin. You can almost hear him say, we've got to get those critters out to the point that we might be left thinking that the real threat against us is not particularly the consequences of sin, but that the consequences of sin is that, are that our relationship with God hangs in the balance. That chapter by chapter, as Paul raises our sense of the threat of sin, as he hard presses to challenge us that sin is serious he uses language like sin enslaves sin kills all things that are true that we might be left thinking that God at any point at some point is going to be ready to walk out on us that what God hangs before us is the security that the threat is to the security that we have in our relationship with Jesus and there's something inst instinctual in all of us that wonders that the the question that hangs in the balance because we know ourselves because I wake up in the morning and look at me in the mirror. I know me. And there's something in all of us that feels that this whole walk, this whole relationship, this salvation thing is kind of hanging in the balance. 
And the question periodically, maybe often, in many of us, maybe all of us, and at some point, each of us wonders, when is God going to be done with me? When is he going to say, enough is enough, lady? I can't take it anymore. When is he going to look at me and say, that was one too many, baby. If I had a known, good grief, buddy, if I had a known that this is what I was getting, I never would have. Haven't we come far enough that we're not having to deal with this junk? Oh, and some of you are like, I've never thought that. The person next to you has. When is God going to be done? with me and Paul writes what shall we say then we what shall we say then if God is for us Romans chapter 8 verse 31 who can be against us now, some of us, the skeptic in us reads that if, if God is for us. Who can be against us? And then he answers that. He who did not spare his only son, but gave him for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? He answers the if. The, skept the skepticism in your heart. Am I a part of that if? is now a part of that if I mean I know when I came out of the waters of baptism God was pretty sure but now 15 years later and I've still got that thing I still do that stuff I still have those thoughts he who in the past 2,000 years ago did not spare his only son but gave him to us all how will he not now and I will say this multiple times through our conversation together when is now now and now and now and now wait you had the thought and then now how will he not now he doesn't say reluctantly okay here we go again but graciously lavishly give us all things who shall bring a charge against God's elect it's God who justifies who is he that condemns who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that I love his language more not just that but even more who was raised and who now is at the right hand of God 
and is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Say no. No. You hear Paul. Stone by stone. He's got the the caulk sealing up. He's got his his sheetrock screws. And my spirit says, You put, you put, you put. He says, not that, not that. And as I'm searching, the insecurity in me is looking for this, that. And he says, not that, not that, not that. Whack-a-mole, whack-a-mole, whack-a-mole. Paul says, I'm invested in this for your sake. We're being killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to the slaughter. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us, for I am sure that neither height, nor depth, nor angels, nor rulers, nor anything present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. The veins on his head are popping out. And Paul says, I'm willing to die for this. Why? Because Jesus did die for this. What did he die for? Not for you to wake up and wonder whether Jesus loves you. He didn't wake up. He didn't die so that you would be like, I don't know. He died so that you would know that nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Thank you for that, amen. That was great. So there, real quick, there are four questions that, that serve as the, the screws and the cock in the security of our salvation. You caught these, but the first is, if God is for us, the question is, who can be against us? We know that God was for us because he, he gave Jesus, but... The cross says that he not only was, but that there's something in our spirit that says, okay, God died, Jesus died, but he probably, when he began this whole thing with me, didn't know what he was getting into. I love that the imagery of the commitment ceremony of my relationship with Jesus is not a wedding ceremony. Because a wedding ceremony, we'd say, okay, I got up and I'm dressed in my best. I know guys are uncomfortable with this, but in your pearl, your long gown, you got your makeup on, and it's all gorgeous and beautiful. And that, but God probably woke up. Jesus maybe woke up after the honeymoon and is like, <gasps> you don't look like you did on our wedding day. It's not us in our most gorgeous state, but the cross 
is Jesus entering into the commitment with us in our grossest state. There's your two G's if you're taking notes. Not you at your best, but you at your bloodiest. So it doesn't make sense that Jesus would wake up and say, well, I didn't know what I was getting into. I didn't know it was going to be this bad, not only because of the nature of God. And when Jesus entered into this, he knew that the thing that you're still dealing with would be the thing that you would still be dealing with. We insult the very nature of God, but we insult the cross of Jesus Christ by saying that he might not have understood how complicated my struggle with sin would be. He gave his son. That was full disclosure. Cracks in foundations. Bats in the rafters. That God said, I am in this with you. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says while we were still sinners he entered while we were enemies he entered at our worst he entered the second question who can bring a charge against is this answer from Romans chapter 8 verse 1 there is therefore now no condemnation so we're wondering at what point like maybe that when when he when he justified me that what he did was he kind of held my sin and my charge in the background so that hey look if you if you get your act together then then you won't be liable but that at some point Jesus is going to say somebody's got to pay at some point that he's going to he's going to pull out my file and say look I thought you were going to get your act together but since you haven't you now are going to be locked up you now are responsible who can bring a charge I love that in this he he says against this is such a daddy statement against God's elect he doesn't say who can bring a charge against that guy he doesn't even call it like a name who can bring a charge against Brandon Joseph Groom what he says is who can bring a charge against what's mine and I, I love it because if you let that emotionally affect you, God says, this is him pulling his kiddo behind his leg and saying, nobody gets to, <laughs> nobody gets to put my kid in a corner but me. But you're paddle away. Who's going to bring a charge against my kid? If anybody could, it would be me. But I justified her. But he says, I justified my, mine. He calls you his. But wait a minute, what about my sin? Mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, he, he, the whole package, fella, 
He calls you his. Who then condemns? Who is the one that condemns? It's Christ Jesus who died in the past and who presently stands at the right hand, of, sits at the right hand of God, interceding for you. This deals with the scope of time because now is now. If anyone could, could condemn you, it would be Jesus. More than a spouse, more than a teacher, more than a workmate who looks at you with a disappointed look, more than yourself who looks at yourself in the mirror and thinks, good grief, I should be way further along than I am right now. And let me speak candidly, I should. You should. We should have made more progress than we have. That's not about condemnation. That's, that's not about whether or not God is going to keep on with you. Because the only way that I will do better than I am right now is in relationship with Jesus. Who, who condemns you? Jesus would be the one. And where is he? He's standing at the right hand of God, speaking for you, working for you, interceding for you. He doesn't have his hand over his face saying, oh my gracious, I'm a little embarrassed. Once again, God says, that's mine. God says, that's mine. You're mine. Jesus says, I speak for you. Who will condemn? And then finally, who can separate you? He says, who and then what can separate you? Turn to your neighbor and say nothing. Nothing. Nothing internally, nothing externally. Nothing politically. Nothing circumstantially. And nothing chronologically. In the past, in the present, in the future, he offers total security in Jesus. This just seems too good to be true. <laughs> I've got to be honest with you. It just feels like this is too this is just too much. First of all, because he's been so high challenge for chapter after chapter, and there's something in my religious makeup that says challenge has to consequence of challenge has to be the possibility of a fracture in relationship because that's how we've been wired religiously. That's how sin has jacked with our view of God. And normally churches choose one or the other. They'll choose no challenge, all fluff and frill. You are so amazing. Everything is good. You are awesome. To the absence of 
a challenge up or even talking about the seriousness of sin or on the other side the church speaks to that instinctive fear that exists in all of us that God is about to be done with us and it's all fire all challenge all threat and it ends up with a sense of manipulation that hey listen sister if you don't do better this week than you did last week then God's gonna turn in the keys put a for sale sign in front of the property and sometimes we flip back and forth and back and forth Paul doesn't choose the either or because what he's setting up for us is a healthy relationship healthy relationships have both challenge and security and uh, in the psychological world there's there's actually a model for healthy challenge in a relationship you'll recognize this as soon as I say it we call this the co- the uh, conflict sandwich is it the CIA or the sandwich conflict whatever the conflict sandwich that where we say uh, if I'm gonna bring a, a, a a challenge to you if I'm going to call you up to something if I'm going to confront you confrontational sandwich confront sandwich confrontation that if I'm going to challenge you that we begin with you are amazing and I love you like I choose you there's so many good things about you and then to say there's also a few things that I believe you could do better. You could step out into this, and I wish you wouldn't do that. You could bring heart, some hard meat to that sandwich, and then on the other side to say, hey, before, before we get up from this conversation, I want you to know that none of this affects you and me. I value you. Like, we're good. I believe those things, but I want you to know, I see, that's not all of it. I see so many great things in you and with you, and you're already, I know, if you're, if you're reading Romans, you're looking back. Because it, it, even the structure of Romans chapter 8, how does he begin? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he calls you up and up and says, sin is bad, do better, <laughs> want for more, reach higher, good grief, man but then stops at the end and has a healthy, hey, 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 hey. I know you, and you're thinking that we're not good anymore, but we're great. I'm never going to leave you. Nothing can separate you from me. It's a conflict sandwich. He even begins Romans with the sons and daughters of God, and you are so amazing, and then he said, boom, 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 and then ends what effectively is the first half of Romans with this section it's it's the conflict sandwich I've been married 23 years and I I want to I want to tell you my wife has made me a few sandwiches through the years but one of the things when we were talking about the sermon I told her that I remember early on they were more thin crust sandwiches like there was a lot of meat (laughs) and and not a lot of bread on on either side. We've gotten better at at those at making the sandwich for each other. But that's can we be honest? 
That's what we, in, in our lives, that's a healthy, in real life, that's a healthy relationship, isn't it? Like if my wife, it'd feel good for a minute. You're my hero. Everything is great. And then I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, everything is not great. I got some stuff. And don't we, though, don't we define intimacy as being in a relationship with someone who knows both our good and our bad and says, we're totally secure. This isn't about a threat to the relationship. We're, we're great. But that we invite that person to speak into our flaws because we feel safe. Well, we would say the whole hero, wonderful, everything is wonderful. That's not a real relationship. But equally unhealthy would be that person that says, hey, look, if you don't get your act together, like, I've got the pen out. I'm ready to walk. Or constantly holds intimacy over our head. When you get yourself together, then you can move back into the bedroom, baby. We would say that's not healthy either. Some of us don't have a healthy relationship with God. In realistic terms, God says it's not either or. You're totally secure. I love you. Nothing can separate. And, baby, we can do better. I want you to want for more. The one of the last things that I, I want to tell you, and I, I, I really think that we need to address why fear is not a good motivator for us in a relationship, why this threat of the end, God's going to walk out, is not healthy. And real quick, this would be something that you, a few words that you might want to write down if you're taking notes. Uh, if God is building a fortress of security, fear is not a fortress, but a prison. It actually doesn't let the bats out. It seals them in. And what fear in your relationship with Jesus ends up being, if you're always afraid that he's about to walk out, then we're locked in there with our sin and we hide it. If you've ever been a part of a legalistic church, you, you see the people aren't there. They're like, I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Are you making progress? Woo! More than ever, baby that we hide it, we lock it in. It becomes a haunted house, and that's fitting for our season. The, the, we've, we've screwed down the sheet metal, caulked up the crevices, but we're locked in there with our sin. We're always afraid that it's going to get us. It, it's not a fortress, but a prison. It's not a motivator, but an immobilizer. Like the, the intention was to say, oh, if I make you afraid enough, you're going to work harder. But you don't. It, it, just bring up what fear does to you. The first thing it does, if, if I jump scare you, <gasps> the very thing that we think that fear is going to accomplish, it accomplishes the opposite. <gasps> Paralyzed. We think it's going to make you more effective, but it makes you defective if I had a tightrope here and just say look I, it, you got to get across this tightrope because all the great things are on the other side Jesus is waiting for you it's amazing but if you fall 
you're going to die and go to hell. So go get Jesus. And to, what does fear do to you? You look and you say, okay, I want Jesus so bad that we start. What does fear do? Does it make me more effective? Ooh. Ooh, don't fall, baby. And the, th the thing that we think that we're doing by making ourselves more afraid or others making us or the church or the pastor making us more afraid accomplishes the opposite. What's biblically described as our, our relationship with Jesus is not a tightrope. But he says in John chapter 1, verse 5, walk in the light as he is in the light. And the blood of Jesus continually washes you over your sin. Walk in the light. What is it? No fear. He, he says in John chapter 4, perfect love casts out fear. So what is it? It's a stroll. Confidence. Gravitas. It's not a tightrope, but a dance floor. That Jesus says, hey, let's do this together. So what's the alternative? And this is where, this is where we'll land. Real. Real is the alternative. In church, we, we fabricate in our brains. We make up this plastic, fake, brittle picture of what it is to be in a relationship with Jesus. It's not real. It's not. We would call so much of, of, what, of what we've accepted as a relationship with God, we'd, call, we would, we'd say, that's not real. Like I'd walk out on that kind of relationship. It's either abusive or syrupy, weird. God doesn't want a, a weird relationship with you. He wants a real relationship with you. He wants it to be healthy. And that healthy is, it involves challenge with total security. Can I hear amen on that? Not either or. But then he wants a relationship. He wants total connection. If you are going to get better, if I'm going to make progress, if I'm going to reach higher in my, my full potential or the next step to my full potential, the only way is in relationship with Jesus. So when I fall, and I want you to hear this, when you fall, when you do that thing that's just dumb, your first thought should be, I need to talk to Jesus. He's the safest place to be. First thought. And then Satan will say, nah, you need a couple of weeks on that. You need to let the stink wear off, baby. And Jesus says, why? I, I died for you. I'm the safest place for you to be at your worst and at your best. Band, now would be a good time to come out. Third, confident. Total and complete confidence. I want you to hear this because God wants, God doesn't want you deflated. and He doesn't want you afraid. The word that he used, the phrase that he used, is you are more than conquerors. You've already won this game, friend. It's not that it doesn't matter, but that you can walk in 
I have a daughter who's really, really great at volleyball. When she walks out, she's not arrogant, but I don't know that arrogance would be the worst thing in the world when it comes to our relationship as we stand against Satan. For us to walk in and say, there's nothing. And he says, oh, I've got a few things. He said, nothing, nothing, nothing. Are you sure that Jesus is in this for the long haul with you? Yes. Neither height nor depth. Nor things present. Nor things past. Nor anything else in all of creation can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. In Him. Nothing. If you would, would you stand with me while I pray over us? Lord Jesus, as, as we prepare our minds to walk up and take communion, for some of us, this is, this is a moment where we've, we've had hidden insecurities where when we take, we think, well, you've been done with me for a long time. I pray as as these as the bread and the and the wine touch our lips that you would whisper in us the truth that you're never done with us and that what you want more than anything else is to be at the table on a stroll on this dance floor connected to your child your people Lord we we love you thank you for lavishly pouring out your grace on us and we receive it and God's people receive it thank you in Jesus name